G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The spirit of Advent, the spirit of Christmas, is to get you to take a good look at your life and ask you, what do you value? Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We're in a new series about Advent and today the message starts with a challenge. Pastor Jeff says we can't know who we truly are until we know Jesus. The message is called Living with Jesus in Mind. The Christmas story is helping you understand that God loves you so much that He was willing to come into time and space to help you get to life beyond the trees because you'll never get there on your own. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Uh, we're in a new series, and uh, we're, we're taking a look at Advent. We're going through this journey together, and I think Christmas is going to mean more to you this year than it has in a long, long time because we're doing it this way, letting the Bible speak for the message of Christmas. Now, as we get into this, again, I know you can multitask. As you're turning to Isaiah 9, and we're really going to go through that passage, uh, I guess the first thing I want to do is explain again that you really can't know who you are until you know who Jesus is. There's a kind of a catch-22 in it, though, because you really can't understand who Jesus is until you're willing to admit who you are. Because until you admit who you truly are, you'll see no need for Christ. That's part of the Christmas season. Now, the same way that's true, this next thing is true. You really can't understand Advent until you understand the idea of eternity. Because Jesus doesn't just come as an arriving king into Bethlehem, he comes as an arriving king from somewhere else. And the somewhere else is a different sphere, a different realm, something that you and I have a hard time grappling with. And it's the realm of eternity. You and I think of eternity, what on earth is eternity? I mean, eternity has no beginning, has no end. Have you ever stopped to try to consider that and you just get a headache because you go round and round and round? What is eternity? And the reason why is because you're not God. You're finite. And finite beings have a hard time with infinity, something that goes on and on, never has a beginning, never has an end. Now, for some of you, when you try to define uh, eternity, you think of the length of my sermons. Yeah, that's eternity, how long Jeff Vines preaches. That, that's not what I, the kind of eternity I'm talking about. For me, it's waiting on Dane Johnson to hit a golf ball. If you ever play golf with him, it's forever once he stands over the ball. It's like eternity. Uh, for some of you, it's like when you're shopping and there's one parking place available and you're waiting on the person who occupies it to pull out so you can pull in. That's eternity. It takes forever. And while I'm confessing something, let me just tell you, I notice in California, you guys walk across the crosswalk very differently than we did in Tennessee. In Tennessee, if you're on a crosswalk, you walk like this. <laughs> California, you do this. I mean, so for me, when I'm in a car and somebody's walking so much, I just want to run up there, hey, move it, pal! You know, that's eternity. Now, the Bible wants to make sure you get the story of humanity. And it does so with great metaphors and symbols. And the story of humanity is a love story. And it starts and ends with the same symbol. 
It starts like if we were to rewind the tape right now, we'd go all the way back to Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth. You say, well, I'm, I'm a little bit more interested than that, Jeff. What was God doing before he created the heavens and the earth? And somebody wants to ask Augustine that question. And his answer was creating hell for people like you who asked that question. <laughs> he was a funny guy. But we know that's not a good answer. The answer is that God had perfect community within the unity and diversity of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God's name, Elohim, is plural in and of itself because he's self-sufficient. So he didn't create us because he was lonely. He created us because he wanted to broaden the scope of his love. So it's a love story. And in the original love story, there is a tree in the garden. It's the tree of life, and it's in the center of the garden. And life and light and everything good and everything perfect, no no death, no decay, no darkness, nothing. God is the center. He's the energy. He's the source of life, and everything flows from him. Now, that's how the Bible begins. And it begins with a perfect relationship between God and man. But man does have the choice to receive or reject God. And it's interesting. Even though... Uh, lots of people will read the book of Genesis and the story and complain about it and say, well, I would have never done that. It's interesting to me how if you really read the story, what you discover is that the reason Adam and Eve decided they would go against the, the precepts of God was because even though God had given them so much, perfect life, perfect community, fellowship, they still wondered if there was something God was holding out on. And so they violated his precepts in case there was something God had not yet given them. Now that's you and me, right? Come on, how many times in your life do you know that there's, some, there, there's a road you should not cross, there's something that you should not do, there's a line that you should not cross over, and even though God has given you all this wonderful stuff, there's a part of you that says, yeah, but you know, I want, there might be something more enjoyable over there that God has not given me. Man, that is us. We are entitled, and we are demanding, and no matter how much God gives us, we always want something more. And so the first story is a love story that God gives man this beautiful garden, this beautiful place with perfect harmony and fellowship and God and man can walk in the, and talk during the uh, stroll through the garden in the daytime. And so God gives this. Man goes his own way. Is there something more? And darkness falls. And then all you read in the Bible is the impact of darkness, decay, death, real sadness, stress, worry, fear. And then all of a sudden you get to the end of the Bible as if it's two bookends. And in the end of the Bible, you come to Revelation, the last chapter, and guess what you find again? The tree of life. Only this time it's not in a garden, it's in a city. And God is in the middle of the city. And the leaves of the trees, they're for the healing of the nations. And so the Bible wants you to know that it's a love story that begins with the tree of life. Darkness comes, darkness falls, But thank God, something's going to happen in the future when there's a city, and this is a city, the new heavens and the new earth and the new city, Jerusalem, God's people. God will be our people. We will be, or sorry, God will be our God. We will be his people. And there is, and this is what the Bible wants you to see. And there is life beyond the trees. And that's eternity. The Bible tries to get you to see that there was something before this. This is where time started. God created time. He's transcendent. He stands outside of it, so he's not subject to it. He created time. He created you. He created me. It's a love story, and his presence was there. We rebelled. We rejected. We get over here, and you know empirically verifiable is the state of the human race. We have gone our own way. Darkness has fallen, and here we go. There's another tree. God wants to help us understand that our whole life is not in the totality of life between the trees that your real existence is life beyond the trees. So if you get stuck in here and you think this is all there is, it's a very sad state of affairs. And so the Christmas story is helping you understand that God loves you so much 
that he was willing to come into time and space, that which he has himself created, to help you get to life beyond the trees because you'll never get there on your own. You with me so far? The beginning, the tree of life, God is the source of everything good. The end, the bookends of scripture and time. Because after, after life beyond the trees, you step back into eternity. And every moment is present, past, future. There is no limit anymore. There's no hurry to get anything done. There's no pressure. There's no anxiety. There's no fear. There's no doubt. There's no... You step back in, but to get there, God had to do something. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We've started a new series about Advent, the first coming of Christ. And it didn't happen the way people necessarily expected. Let's continue living with Jesus in mind. Now, it's important for you to see that still today, so many people miss the Advent. They miss what God did and how they can possibly get to life beyond the trees. And here's why. There are three quick reasons I want you to... And they're in this text, beautiful passage of Isaiah. Number one, the first Advent came, but it was unexpected. Now, not unexpected in the sense that it wasn't expected that a king would come. It was expected that a king would come, but not this way. Not as a suffering servant. They wanted a thundering Messiah. A good example, my wife and I dated. Man, we broke up so many times. It's a wonder we finally got married, but man, we broke up. We were on and off, on and off, on and off all the time. And in the summer of 1985, I traveled all the way to Zimbabwe, Africa to prove that I really did love her. We were engaged. And I said, I want to come and see a part of you that I don't know yet. You grew up in Africa. I want to see Zimbabwe. And when I got off the airplane, never been out of the country before, stepped on African soil, got off the plane, met my future wife, the person I was dating at the time. And the first thing she did is take off her engagement ring, give it back to me and break up. (laughs) I did not see that coming. This is kind of what happens in the first advent. This is what Isaiah says is going to happen and people are going to be shocked and surprised and some people are going to think it can't possibly be God. And that's what the meaning of chapter 9 verse 1 is. He says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. What's he talking about? Well, the people in Isaiah's day, if God is going to do a mighty work, then he's going to start at divine headquarters. Obviously, that's going to be Jerusalem. Isaiah says, no, he's not. Not going to start there. And to understand what he's saying, you have to understand that Naphtali and Zebulun were the posh cities in the time of Jerusalem. They were like the Beverly Hills of LA, the wealthy, the extravagant. But God humbled them because they turned their back on God. And now when God comes in the first advent, when Isaiah prophesies that the king will come, he's not going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to come to Galilee of the nations. Now in Jesus' day, Rome looked down on Jerusalem. That was backwoods, the end of the earth. But Jerusalem had to have somebody to look down on, because you always do. And they looked down on Galilee. So Rome to Jerusalem, Jerusalem said, no Galilee, that's the sticks, man. Nothing good comes out of there. And guess what's in Galilee? Nazareth. And what happened to Nathaniel the first time he met Jesus? Dude, you're from where? From Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth or Galilee? And so Isaiah says, <laughs> when God does his mighty work and the king comes, he's going to come through an obscure place. He's going to be born in a cave, in a hole in a wall. And it's not going to be a divine headquarters. It's going to be at a very humble, simple place. It's going to be by the Sea of Galilee. The Galilee of the nations is the phrase he uses. And basically what that means is 
that by the time Jesus comes, most of the Jews had been dispersed, kicked out, or uh, I guess um, exported or exiled. (laughs) They no longer owned uh, the land that God had given them. And so through Isaiah, the prophet, God says, I'm going to, I'm going to start in backwoods, not in Jerusalem, a place you would never expect. Now, when Isaiah would make this statement, I'm sure that some of the people hearing this would have said, man, you've been dipping into the Holy Communion again, because there's no way if God's going to do something fantastic, it's going to be in a place where the Gentiles are. Now I want to stop here just a moment and we'll get to the other two, but I need your attention here because this is Christmas. This is what Advent wants to do more probably even than the other two is to remind you of something and to remind you of this, that you and I do not judge things properly on planet earth. This is the way you read about Christmas all through the gospels. Every Christmas we read the same thing. Jesus is not born in a comfortable home. He's born in a cave in a feeding trough. The king of the universe isn't born in Jerusalem or Rome, but in Bethlehem. He's not the child of a Caesar or a king or a prince. No, he becomes the child of a poor, pregnant, teenage peasant girl who was most probably part of a community called the Anawim. You discover that through the Magnificat. And her wording and her language is typical Anawim language, which means she was probably homeless, lived in poverty, and depended upon the temple provisions to survive. And that's where she probably met Joseph and they fell in love. Jesus had none of the markers that the world looks for that tells the world he would be successful. Do you you know the Bible actually says that he was a person of no consequence? That is, if you would have met him, your first impressions would have been, wow, that dude's going to change the world. No. The Bible goes to great lengths to tell us that God's forte, he revels in using something that the rest of the world has given up on, something that doesn't have the markers and then bring pizzazz and power and salvation into the tiny little areas of your life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. The spirit of Advent, the spirit of Christmas is to get you to take a good look at your life and ask you, what do you value? What are the markers of success in your judgment? Let me give you an example. If you're a young girl in this audience right now, and I came to you and I said, hey, I I can automatically, just like that, God has given me a wonderful gift. I can turn you in to whoever I want to turn you into. So you got two choices. The first is Taylor Swift. (laughs) How would you like to become Taylor Swift? And then the the second option, you might say, what's my second option? I'd say, Mother Teresa. Now, most of you are going to say, yeah, we respect and honor Mother Teresa. Yeah, but you don't want to become her. You'd rather become Taylor Swift because of the money and the power and the prestige and the significance, everything that you value. And while it's not a a sin to be Taylor Swift, but you and I, the markers that we place on people that we think, oh, that's successful. God says, you got no idea because you're stuck in between the trees and you don't know that ultimately life's about beyond the trees. And if life is beyond the trees, then your life between the trees should look like it's about life beyond the trees. And so God loves to take the quiet, simple things of your life 
and do amazing things with them. Do you know in Isaiah chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. You know what a shoot is? A shoot is a flimsy thing. It's vulnerable. It's weak. It can be blown away by the wind. And that's why Ann Voskamp says in the midst of this inconceivable, the loud claims, the hard sales, the big spectacles, Christ comes small, micro, macro miracles who come to you in a whisper and say, seek me just where you are. Look for the small glimpses of God glory, breaking in, breaking out, sprouting, shooting, unfurling, bearing fruit, making a kingdom, making all things new, slow and still. And then she says, and seek the shoot that bears witness to God, the hardly noticed child, the hymn hummed over the sink, the unassuming woman bent at the register, the dog-eared word of God beckoning from the shelf, the theory of the tree of the cross always seeks the presence of God in the belittled gifts of the world. Advent demands that you ask, what is it that you value in other people? Now, it goes beyond that because traditionally Advent reminds us that the coming of Jesus was through messed up monarchs, battling brothers through affairs and adultery and more than a feud or two through skeletons in the closet and cheaters at a table and in a time when women were invisible to genealogies, Jesus' genealogy included four broken ones. What's the message? The message is if you think that because you have a horrific past that God cannot use you, you don't know Advent. Just because you've been to prison and you messed up your life and drugs, I don't know what you did, but if you think that God can, let me, do you know if that's the story of your life in some ways, now I'm not saying that you should pursue these things, but in some way you're a prime target for God to do something amazing with because he loves to pick up broken people, restore them and wow the world. Now, second, if you're in the room and you're in the room, you think, well, Len, I don't, I don't have the markers of people. I don't have all the talent. I can't sing like this Luke that came out and I can't, I can't act. I can't dance. Jeff, I can't even play a radio. I, don't, I, I can't do anything. <laughs> and you think because of that, God can't use you, then you don't know Advent. Because here's the thing. If that's you, if you see yourself as a no talent bum, if that's how you see yourself, your prime target for God to use. You know why? Because when he uses you and something dramatic happens, you're not going to get the glory because people are going to look at you and say, wow, I didn't see that coming. And suddenly God is glorified. Do you understand that Advent demands that you never give up on yourself and you never give up on anybody else and nobody so far from God or has done something so dramatic in their past that they can't be totally rescued, redeemed, restored, the broken pieces put back together, and everybody stand around and look at their lives and say, wow, look what God did. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll continue living with Jesus in mind next time. I hope you can join us then to hear more about the arrival of Jesus in our Advent series. And I'm saying to you, the time's going to come when there's going to be nobody around to remember anything anybody did. And that's a very sad story, unless there is an ultimate light, one that never goes out, one that is everlasting, one that never fades. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.
for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.